Jesus cannot come back until, until, until. And so these people who erase the role of Israel in God's prophetic plan, they are blinded the church, they poked out their own spiritual eyes. And they've put the church to sleep. Jesus cannot come back at the second coming until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Judgment of the Nations. Do your works show that you are one of Christ's sheep? Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. If you are one of His sheep, you should have a propensity to follow Jesus. We must remember that we cannot earn eternal life and that it is a free gift gifted to us by God's grace alone. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. If you've been with us in this series, we define that that is a term that is used for the very end of time, just before Jesus comes back to the earth. In the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. So he predicted this time of distress when the Jewish people are going to feel such pain that God will have their attention. Sometimes that's what God does today, is it not? You go through a deep trial, things are difficult, and sometimes it's not until the bottom falls out that you begin to look up. Hosea the prophet, by the way, wrote of this same coming time frame. Listen to these words from Hosea chapter five. I will go away and return to myself. The Messiah was here, he went away and he went back to heaven. I will go away and return to my place until, underscore that in your thinking, until, They, the nation of Israel, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Until the Jewish people turn to Jesus in faith, he will not come back. And so the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, Alas, for that day, this day of affliction is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress or the time of Jacob's trouble, depending on your English Bible. But he, Israel, will be delivered or saved from it. So that's, again, one of the chief functions. Everything is going to change during this time. Listen to the prophet Zechariah, the 12th chapter. God prophesies, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In the future, during the great tribulation, during the time of Jacob's trouble, God the Father promises he will pour out God the Spirit such that men will look on him whom they have pierced. He's describing the crucifixion. And of course, the order here is important. First, he pours out the spirit of grace and supplication, and that brings about mourning where they look on him. They are weeping. And it's not until they understand spiritually who Jesus is and their need for him for salvation, will they see him literally physically? He cannot come back. 
he cannot come back for the second coming until the Jewish people repent. That's what Jesus said. We studied it in Matthew 23, 39. Do you remember? For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me. Who is he speaking to? All Jewish people. You, the Jewish nation, will not see me until... And he quotes that great messianic psalm, Psalm 118. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so while the rapture is imminent, it could happen before this day is finished. The second coming of Jesus to the earth cannot happen until the Jewish people in faith call upon him. And of course, for that to happen, as you read Zechariah, they have to be in the land of Israel. They were not there for 1,900 years, but they're there today, and most of the Jews on the planet are there, and they will confess, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, this is the time that Paul describes when all Israel will be saved. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And while we're here, let me just say parenthetically, when the scripture says all Israel will be saved, it does not mean that every Jew will be saved. This is an abused text of scripture. In fact, there are some, too, who say, well, because all Israel will be saved, they teach what's called dual covenant theology, that you do not have to believe in Jesus as a Jew to go to heaven. That's not true. No one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders in his day in John 8, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, literally God in human flesh contextually, you will die in your sin. In John 3.18, Jesus said, or John said of Jesus, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged or condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now let me read Romans 11.25 and 26 together. Pay attention. This is an important theological framework that the Jewish people in the first century had that most of us sadly today don't know. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, Revelation 11, I mean 7, again, teaches us that during this seven-year period, the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, we're not told how they're saved. The church has been gone. Maybe it will be like a Damascus Road conversion. 144,000 Jewish people will be converted, and they will serve as missionaries, and they'll be indestructible. People who hate them and want to kill them, they won't be able to which says a lot about God's patience and long-suffering and God's heart for people that none should perish because he wants them to preach the gospel. Plus, there'll be two witnesses on the Temple Mount and for the first time in all of human history, an angel who will preach the gospel. And during that time, all Israel will be saved. Now, all Israel is a collective all not in each and every all. And so sometimes in the scripture, when it says all, you have to ask, does he mean each and every person or collectively? For instance, in Matthew 2, it's a collective all. Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Did it mean that every single person in Jerusalem was troubled? No, but as a whole, 
they were troubled. And understand, this same kind of distinction is made in passages like Romans 9 and verse 6. Paul said, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. In other words, just because you are a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you are a part of all Israel who will be saved. They are not all Israel who simply descended from Jacob. Only those who have been circumcised in the heart who have been born again. And so the scripture here in, Matthew, in Romans 11 makes a distinction during this time frame of the fullness of the Gentiles. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? It's different from the time of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles is that time frame because when he came to his own, his own received him not. They rejected Jesus. Now, did every Jew reject him? Of course not. There is a remnant. At least 30,000 Jews believe Yeshua was the savior of the world as you read the Acts of the Apostles and the early church fathers. So they didn't all reject him, but overall, collectively, they did reject him. So what did God do? God changed gears. Instead of working exclusively through the nation of Israel, now he's working through the body of Christ, comprised of Jew and Gentile. But it's largely a Gentile church. And Gentiles are preaching the gospel, along with some Jews who represent a remnant. But when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, when, 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 when the last Gentiles in the church age are going to believe, God switches arenas, and he puts the Jew on top, and it's the Jew who begins to preach the gospel. So Paul has been describing a partial hardening in Romans 11. Not every Jew has been hardened. I was introduced to Christ largely through a Jewish man, Ellis Goldstein. Not all Jews are unbelief. We have a Jewish believer here this morning sitting with us in, in this service. Not all Jews are lost. But overall, it's just a remnant today. Well, just like when the Scripture speaks of the fullness of the Gentiles, it doesn't mean every Gentile will be saved. When the Scripture says all Israel will be saved, it doesn't mean every single Gentile, uh, every single Jew will be saved. But understand, this salvation is going to precede the second coming. Jesus cannot come back until, until, until. And so these people who erase the role of Israel in God's prophetic plan, they are blinded the church. They poked out their own spiritual eyes. And they put the church to sleep. Jesus cannot come back at the second coming until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, sadly, here's a text of Scripture. I read it once. Let me read it again. That is often abused. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. What's he talking about? I've heard people say this, and they're just wrong. They've not let Scripture interpret Scripture, and they've created this picture that when Jesus comes in the sky, and they see those nail-scarred hands, that the Jewish people will then believe and be converted. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
And God would be less than just because he would have a double standard. Do you think Gentiles, when Jesus comes and they see the sign of the Son of Man in the sky, oh, I was wrong, Jesus is Lord, Jesus save me, it will be too late. There will be no opportunity. Remember, we just read Hosea, Jeremiah, Matthew 23. Jesus cannot come back until first they believe in him. It's much like what Paul did with the Galatians. Do you remember in Galatians? He said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Now, this is many years into the church. Did the Galatians, they had never heard the name of Jesus till Paul came. Did they see Jesus crucified? Of course not. But Paul publicly portrayed him. It's a a Greek word. He billboarded him. He he painted a clear picture of what Jesus had done for them on the cross so that they could be forgiven. Look, there were thousands, perhaps, hundreds, perhaps, thousands of people that saw Jesus crucified, and they didn't all respond by any stretch. But when Paul paints a picture as to the meaning of the cross, these Galatians believe, and they receive Jesus' payment for their sin. In Zechariah 12, he's contrasting it with Zechariah 11. There's two shepherds. Zechariah 11, there's the foolish shepherd. In the New Testament, he's also called the Antichrist. And they're going to repel the foolish shepherd, and they're going to embrace the good shepherd, Jesus whom they have pierced. How are they going to know to do that? Because their Jewish brethren are going to be preaching the gospel, and they are going to realize that Jesus is Lord It's going to be remarkable. And so certainly they will mourn and weep. Oh, we rejected our Savior. And no doubt when they see him in the sky, they will mourn. But they will have already been converted. And the mourn, the text says, as one mourns for an only son. You ever lose a child? It's a heartbreak. An only son even as weeping over a firstborn because the Jewish people understood that a Jewish dad understood that the firstborn, he is the one who carried on the family name and the family property. So understand that while we are looking this morning at the judgment of the Gentiles, there is a judgment at the second coming. It appears to happen first of the Jewish people because not every Jew who will be there will be alive. Here's a passage of Scripture that will be helpful to us. It's the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 20, and I want to begin to read verses 33 to 38, where Jesus will separate believing Jews from unbelieving Jews, and this prophet writes about it centuries before. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands. And so he's describing, if you remember, there's the gathering that's happening today, but then at the end of the age, all those Jews who hadn't come back, he's going to bring them back into the land where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, 
and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. He's talking about unbelieving Jews. And I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you shall know I am the Lord. Remember, he's establishing his kingdom. And as we will underscore, and this becomes very important for what's going to follow in the future weeks, the only people who enter into the kingdom are believers. So the believing Jews are separated from the unbelieving Jews. Remember, just like there are different courts in America, Supreme Court, Federal Court, State Courts, Local Courts, City Courts, all the judgments are not the same. Here's a picture. I gave this to you last week. Uh, I suppose I could do a whole series just on this if you bring up the chart. The judgments and resurrection that takes place at the second coming. We'll come to this, Lord willing, next time, the raising of the Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints don't go up with the church. Daniel 12, 1 says they go up after that time that is unprecedented in human history. Jesus virtually quotes it in the Olivet Discourse. That the tribulation will be unlike any time in any that humans have ever known on the face of the earth, and unless that time had been cut short, nobody would have survived. That's Daniel 12, 1. And then in Daniel 12, 2, you have these Old Testament saints who are raised up. Right now, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those folks, they're not in their resurrection bodies, just like your loved ones who've gone home to be with Jesus. They're not in their resurrection bodies yet. We're waiting for the rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Well, at the end of that seven-year period, Old Testament saints will be raised. Then, of course, secondly on the chart here, there's the raising of dead tribulation saints. If you remember in the Revelation, you have this picture of all these people who refused to deny Jesus as Lord and to follow Antichrist. They refused to take the number of his name, 666. What happens? Their heads are cut off. And they're up there in heaven. Oh, Lord, how much longer before you deal with the injustices that we have encountered and so when are they raised? The Revelation 24, 46, at the second coming. They don't go up with the church, obviously, because they're not believers when the church goes up. Third here, bring up the next one. There's the judgment of living Israel. I just gave you one of many passages, like Ezekiel 20. We could have looked at Ezekiel 39, when God separates believing Jews from unbelieving Jews. In addition, next chart, if you will, bring it up. There's the judgment of living Gentiles. That's what we're going to look at this morning when God deals with all the nations of the world. And then finally, there's the judgment of the Antichrist and the false prophet. That also happens at the second coming. Jesus will literally judge those two men and they will be the very first recipients to go into the lake of fire. Now that's part of the theology Behind verse 31, I hope I haven't lost you. Stay with me. Verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes in glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Now let's go to verse 32. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So to help these readers and us to understand how these believers will be separated. 
from unbelievers, Jesus uses a common imagery of shepherding. Here's a photo taken when we were in Israel. These are Bedouins. You see them out in the desert all the time. I mean, they just live some really hard lives. Though some of the Bedouins now have Jeeps, I noticed, and almost all of them have cell phones. Different from when I went there for the first time in Israel in 1989, but you will see them. Here's an early morning shepherd. He's got all his sheep and goats, and he's heading out to the fields. And they would be mixed together during the day as they would um, graze. And of course, this is the imagery that Jesus is using when he comes back as the chief shepherd, as the good shepherd. He is going to separate it. And of course, a, a shepherd can easily distinguish, maybe not like us, but they can easily distinguish between a sheep and a goat. Sheep have very full coats very fluffy, and the way we breed them in the West, they're even fluffier than in some parts of the world. And, and goats, of course, they have hair. We get cashmere and mohair, right, from goats. You love the beautiful cashmere goat. And there are other differences. Here's a difference in their mouth. Here's a sheep in his mouth. You'll see the lips are very distinct. They have a clear middle groove separating the upper lip from the lower lip. Here's a goat. The divide is not so pronounced. Um, but again, a shepherd is very, very familiar. Here's another distinction in terms of their tails. Bring up the next. Here's, here's a goat. A goat's tail is always up. The exception is if he's sick or scared. Goats walk around with their tail raised. Here's some um, sheep. They have, as you can see in the background, all the tails are down. I think that one in the foreground, his tail was docked. But in either case, they have their tails down when they walk around. So there's some real differences, and there are some differences in diet as well. Um, the sheep are grazers. They eat the grass and clover on the ground, whereas the goats, they tend to eat from the neck up. Uh, they don't eat so much on the ground, but they eat what is from their mouth up, whether it's bark or tree leaves or, or the like. And so during the day, they can graze together without some big fight. Hmm. At the end of the day, it's a different story. They have to be separated. Why? Because when goats are mixing with sheep in a confined pen that would be made out of wood or stone, they get very agitated and sometimes they'll even fight and kill the young little lambs. And so at night, the shepherd would separate the two. Jesus is using that imagery. Verse 33. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now this happened at the end of the day in the first century. This will happen at the end of the age at the second coming. There's going to be a great separation that will take place. Now notice, if you will, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Look at the words that follow. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he turns to these sheep on his right, and he says they are blessed of his father. And again, these sheep are these believing Gentiles who have embraced Jesus as Lord, you might want to write out in the margin two verses, Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Let me read that. I think it sheds some light on verse 34. There Daniel writes, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, to the Father, 
and they brought him near before him. And again, we've already noted the Son of Man. It's a term used of the Messiah. And he comes to the Father, and the Father's going to give him a kingdom. Look at verse 14. Then to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So here in verse 34, the king is the son of man. Um, And again, that's an important verse of scripture. And he's fulfilling here in verse 34 what Daniel wrote 550 years before Christ. The son of man's gonna come. He's gonna have a kingdom. Matthew is describing when that kingdom is given to the son. The, The Bible is amazing. It's written over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages by some 40 different men, most of whom never met each other. But there's one flow of thought from Genesis to Revelation because behind each and every human author, there's one divine author, God the Holy Spirit. And so notice here, of these saved who are blessed of my Father, they're invited, look at the text, to inherit the kingdom prepared for you when? From the foundation of the world. Does that sound familiar? From the foundation of the world. The Calvinists would say, you see, it's all fixed. God made this decision from the foundation of the world, and you have no say in it. Let's think our way through that, because the text says, from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 echoes this truth. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be, excuse me, holy and blameless before him. So as you read the New Testament, it is very clear that even before the foundation of the world, as Matthew's gospel is affirming here, God knew who the blessed ones were. That's why the apostle John will write this in Revelation 13 and verse 8. He'll write about all who dwell on the earth, or earth dwellers, unbelievers, will worship him, the Antichrist, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that has been slain. Now look, if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you won't go to heaven. And God tells us that he wrote the names in the Lamb's book of life when? Before the foundation of the world. In Acts 1, the scripture says, you, Lord, know the hearts of all men. I think that what we have descriptive in Ephesians and many other passages is God's foreknowledge, God's beforehand knowledge. And God knew from the foundation of the world God wouldn't be God if God didn't know who would be saved and who would not be saved. Remember in the same way, on Paul's first missionary journey, he comes to a place called Pisidian Antioch. And there in Pisidian Antioch, we're told in Acts 13, and when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Oh, it's all rigged. (laughs) No choice. That's what my dear Calvinist friends would say. Now, non-Calvinists would tend to soften this word appointed, but you can't soften it. The Greek word literally means to ordain or to assign into a particular classification. 
If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 024. Don't forget that tomorrow, if you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can also listen to The Bible Line live at WAGP.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.